a, a grouping of lessons about foundational things, and now we are at the end. This is the last lesson that has to do with relational elements. We need to be emotionally whole. <clears throat> That's very, very important. We need to have gracious communication. That's extremely important. We need to have healthy relationships. We need to be good stewards of our time. These are all, these are all life skills, if you will. Uh, people coming to the house of God and, and developing a proper trajectory. Uh, these are things that they struggle a lot with. And so this is very, very important. These are foundational elements. And until God can direct you in some of these areas, you'll find living for God a great difficulty. So this is why we're spending some time here before we even get into doctrinal things and then before we get into holiness matters. A lot of times people coming to the house of God, these, if these things are not in their life, it seems like they're caught in a vicious cycle and they have a very difficult time of breaking out of it. And the last lesson, this happens to be the last one, it's alignment and authority. And so that begs the question here tonight of whether you consider yourself a leader or a follower. If we took a survey here today, some of you would probably say I'm more of somebody that leads and some of you would say I'm probably somebody that follows. And we're going to find in these passages of Scripture that we are, in fact, both. That God has called us to lead and to follow. And so having asked that question, in what ways might an increase in understanding of authority benefit our lives? This is a very important uh, question. And scriptural principles, as we will see in this passage of Scripture that we are reading. We've read half of it, and in this half, we've come across some amazing things. Jesus took the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, which was like the red light district. He's taking them into an area that was full of temple prostitution, the worship of the god Pan. They had a temple that was built in front of a grotto, and Jesus ironically takes them out right in the midst of all of that dysfunction and asks them a question, who do men say that I am? And there were some that said, well, prophet Elijah, and Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so he made a messianic statement. And Jesus told him, Peter, you are going to be one that the church is built upon. And I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you authority that whatsoever you loose and whatsoever you bind uh, will be loosed and bound in heaven. So he is revealing to Peter, based on Peter's statement, that he has the ability and authority. Now, watch what happens in verse number 21 as we continue this passage of Scripture. From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned, Jesus turned, and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. This is, this is an amazing 
turn of events because in one moment he makes a, a proclamation, a statement, and he recognizes that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then in the next breath, he rebukes Jesus and he gets rebuked himself. He expressed a revelation of Jesus Christ. He was given authority to bind. That comes from the rabbinical tradition of binding and loosing. The rabbis would confer among themselves about what the law would be, and they would restrict something, they would bind something, or they would permit something, they would loose something. And Jesus said, above all of that, Peter, when, when you, have the, you have the authority, you have the ability, you have the confidence to permit and to restrict some things. And, and this is the same thing that Jesus extends to us as a church body. When you come into the house of God and you start praying before service, you have the ability to restrict some things and you have the ability to permit some things. This is why I pray and restrict some things. In the house of God tonight, I restrict doubt. I restrict unbelief. I restrict fear. I'm going to stand against those things. I'm going to bind those things. And then at the same moment, I'm going to lose some things in the house of God. If the Holy Ghost is on the inside of me, then I can lose his power and his ability and his mercy and his grace. And so I'm going to speak those things into existence. Peter, you have the ability to do that. Jesus gives him the authority to do that. And then he is strongly rebuked after rebuking Jesus. This was a pivotal moment in Christ's mission. He was giving to them the revelation of his death. He said, I'm going to die and his resurrection. He said, I'm going to be raised again. But Peter only got the first part. He didn't get the second part. And so based on the first part, he didn't like what he was hearing. And so based on the first part, not liking what he was hearing, he neglected to realize the second part, which was I may be killed and they may put me in a tomb, but I'm coming out in three days in a resurrected body. Peter didn't get that. Peter somehow missed that because he got stuck on the first part. He only heard the part about Jesus being killed. And so Peter was consumed with self-preservation. And this was the problem. This was the reason why Jesus spins on him and says, you don't savor the things of God. You're focused on yourself, self-preservation, and you're not seeing the bigger picture. God help us that we don't get stuck in our own little world and we don't see outside of that box to see that God wants to do greater things. If we get stuck in that world, we identify only through our own lens. And God didn't call us to identify things through what we see. He called us so that we could identify his purpose and his mission in a world. Ladies and gentlemen, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to be in the greatest mission and involved in the greatest mission that there ever is. I don't know if you recognize that or realize that or not, but we are a blessed people that we have been called into the ability to be used of God. Anybody thankful that God has put a calling into your life? You are not insignificant, but you are significant. 
Amen. Peter was self-preserving. He didn't want, he didn't like the dying part. He didn't hear the resurrection part. And so Jesus corrected him with the bigger picture in mind. And now here's what's very, very interesting, because before we pick on Peter too much, he didn't just single out Peter, but he addressed all the disciples and he explained to them in the following verses that we will read in verse 24 through 26 that complete alignment with the purpose and core values of the kingdom was not an option. It was a necessity. If God is going to, if God's going to have a powerful church, you got to be aligned with the mission of what God is doing. Peter, if you're trying to self-preserve your own authority and your own self, that's going to be a problem. Jesus looked at the rest of the disciples and said, that's going to be a problem. But if the mission is going to reach the entire world, you got to be aligned with the mission of God so that there is unity that produces revival. You're not going to have revival if there's not any unity. If there's disunity, whether it's here or out there, there's not going to be a power and a move of God. We've got to make sure that we're in proper alignment. I know we live in complex times. I know we live in difficult times. There's all kinds of tensions. But the church still must be the church because if the church is not the church, what are the unbelievers going to do when they're looking for somebody that's got something different in their life. Praise God. Anybody have the peace of God in this place? Anybody got a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory? Anybody got an encouragement that you can give to somebody else in trying times? Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. Jesus looked at all the disciples in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, and he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus didn't just point that out to Peter, he looked at all of the disciples. Authority is no use without proper alignment. If you're not aligned correctly, then the authority that is placed in your hand and your ability can be misused if your motives are not correct, if your life is not correct, if your purposes are not aligned right. And Jesus was committed to the core values of his father's purpose. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, Paul put it this way. Let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Anybody thankful for the name of Jesus? That is a highly exalted name. How did he get that? 
that name. He got that name in humbleness and humility and provides to us a scriptural understanding that if there's any authority that is given, it comes first through humility and humbleness and servitude before it ever gets to a position of leadership. You will do great damage if you try to go the other way, but God has called us to walk in the same steps that he walked in. Not my will, but thine be done. Take this cup from me. This is foreign to me, but nevertheless, I want to walk according to your will, my father's purpose, because I recognize it's a great purpose. Jesus' self-example was that the way to authority is not through self-exaltation. Exercising the power we have been given comes through submission. It comes through humility. And it comes with taking upon ourselves the mind of Christ. This is what Paul states. Peter was given the keys. Even in his struggles. And this should give all of us hope. You ain't perfect. <laughs> and Peter gives to us such a great... I, mean, I like Peter because I, I can see myself in Peter. Peter, even, even though Jesus calls him Satan... Jesus doesn't strip away the keys from him. He just, he wants to make sure that Peter is in the proper alignment. Ministry is not here to kill you. Ministry is to make sure that you're in the proper alignment. You may make mistakes. I said, you may make mistakes. And the ministry is not here to beat you over the head. The ministry is to try to help you understand that wasn't a really good decision that you made. Let's get back in proper alignment so that the mission of God can move forward. And Peter was not perfect. Hey, if you're looking for a perfect church, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Because there's people in the church that are not perfect, and you're not perfect either. I hate to disappoint you and tell you that. I know you came here thinking that you're an angel, but you're not an angel. Right? We're all working on this thing. The church is still the best institution that is the body of the Lord in the earth. Sometimes it's not a good representation, but we should be striving to be aligned with the perfect rep representation. I want revival. I don't want fracturing. I don't want dead church and boring church. I want the Holy Ghost to move so that people can receive it. Amen. This should be, this should be our prayer. And. Peter had a moment of brilliance and a moment of su severe stupidity and ignorance. And that's kind of like us. I'm brilliant and at the same time, I can do some of the dumbest things. And some of those things you have to take to, you have to take to the altar. It has to be a reckoning to where God can, he can realign some things in your life. We're talking tonight about alignment and Authority, And yet God instructs to all that the church is not going to be the church if it's filled with selfish motives and preferential treatment. This is not the way that it's going to work, Peter. You cannot be so stuck on yourself that you don't see the bigger picture. You got to see the bigger picture. 
So aligning our motives are, are, is very, very important. It's very important. Jesus modeled the values of his kingdom, and he expects us to do the same. Those values are not about power and position over others, but they are about loving and serving. This should be our thinking and our understanding in every decision that we make. It's not about power and authority. It's not about lording over God's kingdom. It's about loving and it's about serving. And the disciples, it's interesting because Jesus had to deal with them on this. In Mark chapter 10 and verse number 35, watch this. This is not Peter. This is James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And in Mark chapter 10 and verse 35, they came unto Jesus saying, Master, we would that you would do for us whatever, whatever we shall desire. I mean, okay. Whatever we want, Lord, we want you to do it for us because we are VIP, very important people. Yeah. Jesus said, well, what would that I should do for you? They said, grant us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. Jesus said, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? He was talking about his persecution, Calvary, and his struggle. And they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto them, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I'm baptized with all shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when, of course, now watch, of course, this is going to be a problem, right? When two guys are coming and there's 10 disciples, there's, there's, there's 12 disciples, and, and two of them come and say, we, we want to sit on the right hand and the left hand, they begin to be much displeased with James and John. And Jesus called them and said unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This raises some interesting questions. Why should the desire for authority over others be shunned, according to this passage of Scripture? Well, verse 44 says, if you want to be the chiefest, you got to be a servant. So trying to be powerful and authoritative, Jesus said, is something that you should <laughs> shrink away from. You should, first of all, be a servant. Jesus had all authority and power, but he embraced the role of what? He embraced the role of a servant. He gave his life for a ransom to many. The problem here is the desire for authority is part of our DNA. As a matter of fact, God put it there. He put it there. He put it there from the very beginning when he created humanity. He gave them dominion and he expected them to activate or to use it. It's found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. He put that 
dominion, that, that ability, that authority within humanity. But you got to factor in something. What you got to factor in is the fall of man. And when there's a fall of man, the ramifications of that hit every sector of life. And so it's not but just a few, a few verses later until you get great abuse Humanity seeking to dominate one another and abuse one another. And so Cain murders his brother Abel because he is upset because his sacrifice was not received and his brother's is. The same thing is happening here in the book of Mark. This desire, this desire for power and for rulership and authority over others was rooted in self exaltation and there was some pushbacks from the rest of the disciples because they didn't feel this was right and Jesus said the fact of the matter is you got to serve and minister and so he is driving this picture home this is the big picture the big picture is not about you James and John the big picture is not about you Peter you don't savor the things of God the things that you need to focus on is the bigger picture of serving and ministering ministering that's the big picture authority is not for prestigious purposes but for serving purposes this is one of the reasons why Jesus spent time foot washing what statement what what example was he trying to lay down that if I your master I'm not the servant but if I your master am washing your feet how much more should you wash one another's feet there's a connection Jesus was not the servant of the house, but he used this as an illustration to point out authority and power are about service and humility. Every single one of us need a good dose of humility. You get stuck on a position, you're not going to walk away from it. You're going you're gonna to get mad. You're going to be angry. You're going to be all these things. How about a good dose of humility? Sometimes we don't have a leg to stand on for what we're trying to stand for. It, it's obvious to everybody else. We have nothing. We've got no evidence. Our mistakes are mistakes, and yet we still want to be defensive. Jesus said the way that you get out of self-exaltation and where you are is a good dose of humility he says you know what that was not that was not very smart these are values that we should live out and our motives must be right in order for our alignment to be right God trusts us with authority when we align ourselves with his kingdom and his values Forgiveness and humility are essential elements in the binding and in the loosing or the exercising authority. Peter, you're going to have to understand this. If I'm going to give you authority, you, you have to be a servant first before you can be a leader. And in being a servant, there's going to be some difficulties and offenses that come your way. And can you walk the same road that I'm going to walk? Matthew chapter 18 and verse 18 Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? Seven times? 
Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Jesus lays out some conditions in which things we ask for come to pass, where two or three are gathered together. Verse 19, why do you think Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive others? He was wanting to quantify how many times. And Jesus didn't give him, give, give him that. He gave him an exaggerated amount. And so that begs the question, if Jesus is saying this, and the binding and loosing is connected to the alignment and the motives that are proper, then what should our response to this passage of Scripture be? Jesus goes on and he gives an analogy. He said, there is a king, he's got a servant, and he takes account of his finances, and, and this man owes him 10,000 talents. And he, he doesn't have it to pay, so the Lord commands him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. And the servant falls down, worships him, and says, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord is moved with compassion. And he loosed him, forgives him his debt. The same servant that was just given compassion goes out <laughs> and finds somebody that owes him pennies and asks the same thing. And that person gives the same response. And, and, and this person, this servant, uh, is is not compassionate, takes him by the throat and says, pay me that you owest. And he doesn't give him any compassion. He went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So others saw this and they came to the master and they said, what, 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 what's the deal here? And the Lord, after he called him, said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you desired of me and should you have not had compassion on your fellow servant. And he is judged very, very harshly. So there's, there's some interesting things that are happening there. Number one, there was a debt. Sin and offenses and even decisions have consequences. There's a debt, and Jesus was certainly not asking for someone to ignore or play off the debt with pseudo-Christianity that puts the onus on the one that's offended. Right? If you believe in Jesus, you got to forgive me. Well, now, wait a minute. This man that had the debt, he had a debt, but he comes to the, the master and, and he, his action produced a compassion. I'll never forget, I, I'm pretty sure it was me. I'm pretty sure it was me that my cousin and I were a month apart and we were playing baseball and the ball got lost in a pile of of telephone pole poles that were cut. They were pretty good size, five or six feet. And the ball went in there. And so we're trying to find it. We can't find it. So he picks up the, he said, well, look under here. He picks up the telephone pole. And I'm down there looking when he lets go. I don't think he did it on purpose. I don't think he did it on purpose. It hit me in the back. What's a big telephone pole? <laughs> knocked me out, knocked the breath out of me. And so I get up and I spin around to look at him. And he says, sorry. You think it's funny. It wasn't funny then because that's, that's, not, that's not moving me to any compassion. All right, you get out of here and stay away for a while until I can catch my breath. Then we can talk about it. 
right? So there was a definite problem, and there was a, yeah, there was a debt that needed to be paid, <laughs> certainly. Your approach matters, and what, what it produces is compassion and forgiveness. Your approach matters. Your approach matters. This man comes, and his approach was, I don't have what I need to pay, but he does it in a way to where there is compassion so that the master has the ability to say, I'm going to forgive you. Forgiveness is a gift that determines I'm not going to stand in the way of God's future purposes in the offender's life. However, it does not mean there is immediacy in healing because healing is hard work and some wounds take longer to heal than others. You can't drop a pole on my back and then stand there and say, sorry, and expect me in that moment to say, oh, yeah, no problem. That's a Christian virtue. No, there's some, there's some time and space. Healing is hard work. We have lost our minds, ladies and gentlemen, if we think that one trip to an altar solves all of our problems miraculously. There are some things that happen that take time, take blood, sweat, and tears. you gotta, you got to dig out some dark roots and God has to meet you not one time but he's got to meet you over and over and over and at some point you'll be able to say I would have never gotten here if God hadn't hadn't been on my side and been there for me and been faithful to me it was difficult it was hard work but God came through for me I told a story in one of the lessons at home and slapped the table and, and it ended. And so you didn't get the rest of the story. I was talking about the guy that wanted to build some muscles. And so he injected himself with steroids in his gluteus maximus. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's his rear end. Okay. Right? Well, it was for vanity purposes and it was a dirty needle. So what happened is, after a while, it was a self-inflicted wound. After a while, what started to appear, it started hurting, but then something appeared on the outside. And when he went to the physician and the doctor, the doctor said, this is, this is not good. <laughs> and so uh, you got an abscess in there, and it is deep. So the only way we can fix that is we're going to have to cut all of that out and then we're going to have to pack it with a lot of stuff. And you're going to have to, every so often, you're going to have to pull that out. And you're going to have to repack it because it's going to have to heal from the inside out. And you can imagine that you pack that in there, that gauze in there, and then it starts healing. What do you think happens when you pull the gauze out? It pulls, Brother Sean. It's painful. It pulls some stuff. <laughs> it pulls some of the tissue and what have you. You got to repack it, and it's. And, and guess what? You don't wake up the next day and say, "Woohoo, it's all good." No, no. 
Huh, huh. It takes a long time for that to heal. You're, you're not going to be lifting weights for a long time, and you're going to change your thinking about the vanity of building up your muscles. Uh, it's going to take a long process. There's a process there that has to be done over and over and over. Sometimes our wounds are self-inflicted. Sometimes we cause our own problems. We create our own wounds. And then in other cases, there are people that cause the offense to be against us that has nothing to do with us. Sometimes it has to do with a lot of things. And sometimes it has to do with so many things, it's hard to even figure out which end is up. And the only one that can solve any of that is God has to step in and be a wise judge and counselor. There are some situations that you just have to walk away from. Doesn't mean that you're abandoning the person. It just means I don't know what to say or what to do other than I'm praying for you. And ultimately, God's going to have to, he's going to have to figure out how to take all these pieces and put it back together in a picture that makes some sense. And if you feel like that's you in the house of God, just hang on, baby. Let God keep working. He's a miraculous working God. He can do it. Nobody else can do it. But God can do it. Amen. You got to trust. You got to trust in him. Sometimes it takes some time and it takes some space for there to be healing. And you have to be real careful here. Because if you try to do something too soon, that becomes flippant. My cousin saying sorry, he probably had good intentions, but that seemed kind of flippant. <laughs> Why not say sorry, sorry? <laughs> Instead of standing there and just saying sorry. Got two ribs broken, can't breathe, and you're. So some time and space helps in the healing process. But you also have to be careful that you don't allow it to go too long because on the one side of the equation is flippancy. On the other side of the equation is bitterness. And so if you don't get some things resolved, you can get bitter. And I'm not sure which is worse, flippancy or bitterness. Bitterness will absolutely destroy you and everything around you. I've seen it happen in families. I've seen it happen generationally in families. People go back to the same hurt that happened so many years ago. People don't even remember what you're talking about. Why haven't you moved on? You, you can't move on. And now it's infecting not only your generation, but the next generation and the next generation. Why would anybody want to do that? There are some things that you, ladies and gentlemen, you have to close the book. You got to lay down the sword and you got to say it's time to shut this thing and God's going to take me to new heights and I'm going different directions. I'm not going to stay caught in this vicious cycle. It's not a flippancy thing and it's not a bitterness thing and I refuse to go to hell because of the things that have happened in my life. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. The alignment with his kingdom is to recognize that we will owe a debt to some. We will owe a debt to some and some will owe a debt to us. 
And in order to exercise authority, we have to understand that truth. This makes us different because we serve in his kingdom, and the kingdom values authority. That's not a, that's not a cool word nowadays. People are not. I saw a guy just recently right down here by the lit up orange, frosty, whatever it is there on the corner. I mean, you cannot miss that place, can you? <laughs> Does anybody like drive by that and not even see that? I mean, that thing is so bright over there. Somebody's taking care of it, but they are like, let's paint it orange. <laughs> there was a guy standing on the corner, and he was walking to a corner. A probation officer was by me coming up the road. When that guy saw the probation officer's car, he gave, well, it was a little more than that, but he, get, he, he leaned out into the street and just all the way by. Our world that we live in is full of turmoil, and authority is it's not a, it's, it's not a positive thing nowadays, but Jesus is, is, is very much about authority and the value of it because authority comes from above, and God blesses us when we recognize and honor authority. I remember a guy in my philosophy class at Cal State University, Bakersfield. We had a conversation about uh, divine will and God, and so it was, it, was, it was kind of centered around God. And he was the guy that was always pressing the professor, and he was always asking questions, and man, he was, he was, he was something else. So in the conversation, he said, well, just, it was a group setting, he said, well, just tell me this. He said, if I walk out of a door and I fake left, go right, does God know that? Somebody said, well, yeah, if he's sovereign, yes, he would know that. He said, well, I don't like that kind of a God. Well, whether you, whether you like it or not, he's a sovereign God, and he knows. But here's what somebody said. Here's the bigger question. Now, philosophy, you know, it's all about trumping each other. He's, he said, here's the bigger question. Does God even care if you fake left or go right? <laughs> you think you're so important that God's really concerned whether you're faking left or going right? He doesn't care about you. What are you talking about? We are given authority in relation to other people. There's value in that, and we must lead in a way that pleases God. Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 5. I've got two points. I'll hurry quickly. <clears throat> when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus said, I will come heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. In what way was this man's humility displayed? He recognized, I'm under authority, and I've been given authority. 
And so he approaches his request to Jesus with humility. The man speaking was a humble man. He knew <clears throat> how authority works. And we have a responsibility to honor the authority of leadership that is in our life. It is important. I know the world goes against this grain. Any kind of authority, nobody wants to be under authority. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to do all kinds of destructive things. God, God calls us to recognize that there's authority in our life and that based upon how we respond to that is going to be how we mete out authority and leadership on our own. We have a responsibility. Everyone say responsibility. We have a responsibility to honor the authority in our life. You circumvent that, you shortchange that, you manipulate that, you try to control that, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be bring unity. It's not going to bring revival. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul said, Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. God's kingdom transcends all other domains, homes, governments, companies, organizations of all types. God's kingdom is greater than all of that. It is the greatest authority structure of all things because he's a sovereign God. And so our lives should display that. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name we've done wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, department from me, you that work iniquity. Why would he say that? Because you're not in proper alignment and your motives are not right. And so Jesus is pointing out the authority structure that is in your life there has to be a proper alignment, and it has to be built on scriptural principles, and it has to be approached with humility and humbleness. Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. All of us have influence in the lives around us. And this is where the first question I ask you, are you a leader or a follower? All of us are leaders because we all have influence over the people that are around us. Be careful with how you use that influence. Use that influence for good things. Use that influence for things that are going to protect the unity of the church rather than destroy the unity of the church. May we do that in a way that is pleasing to God. That is absolutely, it may not be absolutely frightening to you, but it's absolutely frightening to me. Why? Sometimes you have to make some really difficult decisions. And that's not something that you just flippantly make a decision. Is it? No, not, not if you really care about the bigger picture. Not if, not, not if, if, if it's about the bigger picture, not self-preservation, you will agonize over some things. 
Why? Because you got to make some decisions, and everybody's not going to be happy with the decisions that you make, but you got to make decisions based on everybody that is involved for the purposes of the betterment of everybody that is involved, and ultimately for the purpose of seeing the church stay true to the alignment and mission of what God has called us to be. And it stinks sometimes when people do some things. Because you know, you know what, that's going to grind the wheels of the gospel. It's going to slow everything down. Revival's going to come to a halt. And God's going to have to help us somehow so we can get back in proper alignment and keep moving forward. This should be something we pray about, that we fast about, that we seek God about. You hear what I'm saying here tonight? We need to pray for that right now, that God helps us and directs us to continue down the path of revival. Why don't you stand to your feet right now and lift up your voice and lift up your hands and pray not only for you, but your family. And pray for your church, the unity of the church, the strength of the church, that this place would be a birthplace down here in the well, that people would receive the Holy Ghost in this place, that we would focus not upon things that captivate us, but we would focus on the mission and the work of God. I feel the Holy Ghost. Come on, just, just, just for a few moments. Just for a few moments right here. God, I thank you. I thank you. I worship you. I praise you. I ask that you would do miraculous things. I pray that you... Praise God. You can be seated just for a few more moments. Brother McAllister, if you'd come. Aligning with kingdom values necessarily involves aligning with other people in the family of God. This process is powerful. It helps the church care for one another and encourages each other to good deeds. Your connections to other people should produce good deeds. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 21. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works my connections with you should be to produce and provoke you to good works This is where the fulfillment of ministry comes in. The disappointment comes when it's not good works, but. J 
Genuine faith results in drawing close to God, and genuine hope results in unwavering allegiance to God. Hold fast the profession. And genuine love results in loving deeds performed both for God and for others. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens because we're connected in relationships to others and the church. We are who we surround ourselves. You better be careful who you got. Yap, 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 yap up here in your head. It, it may not be the proper alignment. It may not even be the right motives. You are who you surround yourselves with. We take on attributes and thought patterns of our closest circle. God help me have a circle that is willing and has the guts enough to say, You're not right. You need to make things right. You need to get in proper alignment. Every single one of us, every single one of us are going to find ourselves in not the correct alignment. And God's going to, sometimes it's through preaching. Have you ever had a message that you felt like, okay, how does the person know what I'm going through and what I'm doing? And all of a sudden, it's coming right down my alley. And I find an altar and I'm, 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 I'm able to, to get, get myself back to where I need to be. Sometimes it's close friendships. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's family. It could be a variety of things. Is our closest circle inciting spiritual growth or is it inciting a riot if it's inciting a riot friend you need to take inventory of what's going on because all of us are supposed to be encouraging each other to spiritual maturity Some people are going to do things that you can't control. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in the fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Some people, if they want to bear a burden, they need to bear it on their own. It would be best for you to say, I got to make sure I'm in proper alignment. If that's something you're going to bear, and you're going to go that direction, then go that direction. But I want to make sure. I want to make sure I'm in proper alignment. As we stand together tonight, James in chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. You know, that's part of our problem. We talk too much and we don't pray enough. That you may be healed, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do a wise man 
said two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor for if they fall the one will lift up his fellow but woe to him that is alone when he falleth for he hath not another to help him up a threefold cord is not quickly broken you look at the early church and what you see is an alignment that created such a unity that revival broke out around the entire world they had their problems and they had their difficulties and they weren't perfect but what they did understand and know, as long as those disciples were alive, is Jesus' words to them that this is not about you. There's a bigger picture of God's mission. And if you got difficulties and problems, you're going to have to work it out, Peter and Paul. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to settle your differences. But ultimately, don't get caught up in such a scrum that revival doesn't reach Corinth and Ephesus and You look at people's social media feeds, they are out of their minds. We are so polarized, we can't even talk to each other. Some would say it's dark and abysmal times for the church, but we have opportunity to say, no, it's time for the church to shine. Because when everybody else is saying, man, this is a mess and they're looking for something, Maybe they look to a people of God that has a hope that maketh not ashamed. Let me walk with you, Jesus. Don't
you, Jesus. Come on, he's going to help us. Don't believe me. Ha. Come on, he's a healer. He's a healer. He walks with you. For without, without you, I, I could never. No, never make heaven my home. Yes, just let, let me walk with you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Be with you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Don't ever leave me alone. Come with God bless you. May the peace of God go with you. Amen. It's going to be a long period between Tuesday and Sunday morning. Amen. Let God direct you, guide you. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, let's come to the house of God. Let's be here online Sunday morning. Amen. God bless you. I've been on the mountain with Jesus. And I've been in the valley so low. 